Charleston to have a little visit, a little holiday time, but we had in our minds that this church was here and we're so happy to be here. We have known of you by reputation and we have been ministered to by your pastor in the past and it is just a great privilege to sense the oneness and the unity that we have together in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing how many friends of the past that we have met, going back to some of our own sons, friends that go back for 20 years ago. And we're so happy and praise the Lord for the unity of Christ that extends throughout our lives. Our scripture this morning, or this evening, there I go, I follow the pastor's example. It's usually a good example, but not always. <laughs> Two passages of Scripture, one from the Gospel of John, chapter 7, beginning to read it, verse 1, and then we shall turn to the Gospel of James, that is in chapter 3. Let us hear then this portion of God's holy, inspired, and infallible Word. John chapter 7, beginning to read at verse 1. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who aspires to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, The right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, because for me the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, Where is that man? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. Now let us turn to the book of James, it's not actually a gospel, but it has much gospel truth in it. The book of James, 
beginning in chapter 3, verse 13. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy or zealousness and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthy, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy or zealousness and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. What is it that causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. So you kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that love of the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend or lover of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He calls to live in us envies intensely, but He gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Surrender yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn. Well, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. May God bless to our hearts the reading and the hearing of his holy, inspired, infallible, 
an inerrant word. A transformed brother. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you, O resurrected one who has overcome death, not only death in the flesh, but death in the spirit. Thank you for the presence of your spirit poured out upon all flesh. Now, let us hear with faith the truth of your word and let its transforming power change us and our brothers. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. Got any brothers that need transformation? A brother in the flesh, a relative, have an unbelieving son or daughter, an unbelieving in-law that makes it very difficult for you to have relationships with them and even your children with them? Or do you have a brother in the Spirit, someone who is indeed a confessing, professing Christian, someone who is in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but there is a tension, there is something missing there. God's Word says, humble yourselves before God. Humble yourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ, and He will lift you up, you first, and then your brother. So let's look at both of these texts, if we can do so. First of all, an ambitious brother. We're talking about brothers to begin with and also to see how this Scripture would speak to ourselves as well as to our brothers. But first of all, a brother. And look at Jesus' brothers. Jesus' brothers, who are they? Do you know who Jesus' brothers were? Well, Matthew names them in Matthew chapter 13. James... Joseph, Simon, and Jude. He had four brothers, and it doesn't tell us how many sisters, but he had four brothers. Who's the leader of those brothers? Well, you heard a little bit about the firstborn this morning. Obviously, the firstborn is the leader of the brothers. And who was that? Well, it was James. He was the leader. What's the state of James' soul and the state of his brother's souls? These are the brothers of Jesus. Well, James is on the way to the feast. He worships God. He's going to make sacrifice as he celebrates this festival. He's going to be listening to the chanting of the Word of God in worship. But he is an ambitious young man. He is a very ambitious young man. He is not in every way godly. 
And so he comes to his older brother, who is Jesus, and he says, you must go out of Galilee down to the feast. He apparently hasn't recognized that the people down in Judea are planning on killing his brother. You must go down to the feast because no one who aspires, no one who has an aspiration is going to stay in these little country towns like Charleston, South Carolina. You've got to go up to the big cities. You've got to have aspirations, right? Now, what's behind this advice that is being given by the oldest brother of Jesus and the other brothers? Well, you, it's obvious, is it not? It's not just that they want Jesus promoted. If, I don't know how it is in this culture, though I think it's probably the same. If your brother gets in a good position, you can expect to be appointed, right? I remember a president who was made president, and there's only one wor person in the world who could be appointed as his right-hand man at the most important position in the country, his brother, of course. Well, that's what happens all over the world. And if Jesus gets promoted, then what's going to happen to the brothers? Well, it is selfish ambition, worldly ambition. Now, what is the root cause of this worldly ambition of the brothers? It tells you in John chapter 7, verse 5, his brothers, his brothers who had grown up from, with him from the time that they were born for 30 years, they had seen the uniqueness of Jesus. They certainly had heard something of his message and his character of life. They had been there, and yet they did not believe in Jesus. You know, to believe in Jesus is it's a big step, let me tell you. If you don't know it, to believe in Jesus means a radical transformation of the totality of your life, and it begins with the heart. There must be a change of orientation of your whole life if you are a believer in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you cannot be... Now, there is such a thing as a godly ambition. You can have a godly ambition to reach out and serve Christ in public ways. You can have ambition to be a great professor in a certain category of education to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can do all of those things, but the heart has got to be right and you've got to be submissive, humble before Jesus. The root cause to this selfish ambition is failure to believe in Jesus. And any remnant that you have within you, whether old or young, to aspire to great things for yourself or your family is a failure to believe in Jesus, to understand that when you come to Jesus, you die 
to yourself. How does Jesus respond to his brothers? What does Jesus say in response to his brothers? Well, look at John chapter 6 or 7. Therefore, Jesus told them, Your time is always right. Your time is always right. What time is that? Well, it's the time for self-promotion. The time for self-glorification. That's always right. We were standing in the, along the, the, near the, the, you know, the big place where, all, where, where you can see Fort Sumter out there. That was really interesting for me to see. There it was, Fort Sumter. And this beautiful sailboat went across with these three sails, open and full of the wind, sailing across the bay. Sailing with the wind. When you're sailing with the wind, the time is always right. Whenever the wind is blowing and it's going that way and you're going the way of the culture and you're going the way of the educational system and you're going the way of everyone else, that's the broad way, says Jesus elsewhere, that leads to destruction. But you're going to be sailing along. Life is going to be good. But he says, it's not the right time for me. You will find if you read through the Gospel of John, several times over where he says, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And then he comes to a point where he says, my time is come. When was that? Do you know when he said, my time is now come? It's when Greeks came to him. And when Greeks came to him, he knew the time was close. The time was there when he was about to sacrifice himself. Because the very next verse says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. And when the Greeks came to him, he saw that the time had come for the opening up of the gospel to the world, beginning with the Greeks and then to the rest of the world. Jesus continues, the world hates me. The ways of the world, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of self-promotion is all evil. It's all of the devil. It goes all the way back to the garden where Adam and Eve decided that their will was to be stronger than God's will. These are the ambitions of the brothers, a selfish ambition. And James is the first of these brothers. What about you? Young or old? Beginning in life or well along in life? What is your ambition? Is your ambition to be crucified with Christ? To die with all your self, to all your selfish ambitions and to give your whole life for serving Christ. This is James, the brother of Jesus. Is there any hope for him? Yes, of course there is hope for him. What is that hope? That hope is for him to recognize and to put his trust in 
who his brother is. That his brother is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And your hope is the same. If you're a little disoriented about life, if you're a little confused about which direction your life should take, turn to Jesus and find out what the pattern of his life is. Give yourself over to him. Understand that when Jesus says, my time has come, it meant his time to die to himself. And the only way you're going to find satisfaction in life is to die to yourself. Was it someone here in this congregation that this morning told me? Yes, it was someone in this congregation who told me that he had strayed a while. He had strayed a few years, and he found that it was totally unsatisfying. And he's back to the Lord, praise the Lord. So let's look after this image here of an ambitious brother at a transformed brother. This same James, he is transformed. And we get a little of a picture of what that transformation meant to him in the epistle, the epistle, the letter of James. He's a transformed brother. James, who is he? Well, he's also a carpenter. He was raised alongside Jesus. He knew how to use a plane. He knew how, knew, knew how to put a peg. He didn't have any nails, but to put a peg in a, in a board after he had somehow worked a hole into it. He knew how to build all kinds of things. And he was from Nazareth. And can anything good come out of Nazareth? That all applied just as much to James as it did to Jesus. And next you see him. The next time you see James, he is the church leader in Jerusalem. In the holy city, there is none but James who speaks the final word in Acts chapter 15. You remember that? They had debated back and forth. They had heard from Paul. They had heard from Peter. But it was James who showed the wisdom and gave the direction as to how the church in wisdom could require the Jews to say, no, you cannot require circumcision of the Gentiles as they're coming in, and no, you cannot eat blood pudding. That will just be too obnoxious for the Jews. You've got to give your, your what do they call that in Scotland? What's that good stuff that's got blood pudding in it? But it, black pudding, that's right. I love black pudding, especially with some, a good scrambled egg or a fried egg. Black pudding. No, 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 no more black pudding. And that was the compromise that James came up with. And the Scripture says the Holy Spirit has said this is what we are to do. James. James the one who was totally wrong in his ambitions, is totally transformed into becoming the leader of the church. Now, how could it be that he could now be entrusted with this massive responsibility? And you know, it's very interesting. If you read all the way through the book of Acts, you get to Acts chapter 21 when 
Paul has completed his three missionary journeys, and he comes back to Jerusalem, who is the first person that he meets? He is warmly received, and the very next day he goes to meet James. For 30 years, 20 or 30 years, James, not Peter, but James, had maintained leadership for the whole of the church in Jerusalem. What a transformation. Now, what caused that transformation? And it was a very quick transformation as well. It didn't take very long for him to be transformed. Well, we know, first of all, it had to be an abundance of grace. As we heard this morning, it's grace from eternity past to eternity future, from God's choice of you before the foundation of the world to God's preserving you until the end of the age. It's God's mercy and grace. And it's not by your own power that you're going to see where you're making wrong decisions, where you're making selfish decisions that are going to lead to chaos in your life later on. It is the grace of God that is going to make it possible for you and you and you to be willing to die to self, to die to your own aspirations, that you might come to life in Jesus Christ. You cannot imagine what your life could be if you would simply die to your own selfish ambitions and live to Jesus Christ. What was it? Well, we learn from the Apostle Paul who had some interaction with James and some of it was good and some of it was pretty tough. But Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says in recording all the appearances of the resurrected Christ, he says, he appeared to over 500 brothers and most of those brothers are still living and he appeared to James. Immediately, after listing Jesus appearing to 500 brothers, the resurrected Christ appeared to James. Now, Sam Patterson, he would never let you call him Mr. Patterson. He was not Dr. Patterson. It was always Sam. And he was a red-headed country preacher. But he read from his Greek New Testament every morning. He was no slouch, I can assure you of that, having worked under him at the beginning of the days of, of, of Reformed Theological Seminary. But Sam Patterson was a wonderful preacher. He preached with the Presbyterian Evangelistic Fellowship for several years, and he would come and have a week of preaching. And such a wonderful preacher he was. But I remember on one occasion he said, when you're reading the Scriptures, Use your sanctified imagination. Don't just read the words for the, what the words are. Use your sanctified imagination. Now, use your sanctified imagination with Jesus and James. The older brother who has never believed in Jesus, who had all these wrong ambitions, and suddenly there is the oldest brother, Jesus, appearing to him. What 
kind of conversation did they have? What kind of interaction did they have? I doubt that Jesus appeared in his glory as he could have. I think it would much be much more likely the way in which he appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And at first, they may not have, um, it, it, but it says there that it, their eyes were withholden so they did not recognize Jesus. But James must, there is my brother, Jesus. And there's the testimony with the marks in his hands that this is the Jesus and I recognize his face. You know, you are going to recognize your mother if she is a believer in Jesus. One of these days, I'm going to see my mother one day. It's going to be a wonderful day. And what impact must have that been to James? It transformed him immediately. You don't need to see the resurrected Jesus. As Peter says, there were certain chosen witnesses by God. God doesn't need every single Christian to give personal testimony to have seen the resurrected Christ. There are enough personal testimonies in the Scripture, but you can meet the resurrected Christ. And the resurrected Christ can transform you. It may not be as instant as it apparently was with James. It may be a process, a long process, but you can be changed so that your life is full Fuller than you could have imagined. And I can only testify to you that of all my years, and I was there at the 50 years ago at the first General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America, and I've, I've been in basically every continent in this world, and that my life is full not because of who I am in any way, but because of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And wherever you are and whoever you are, you can have such meaningfulness in life that you cannot imagine it if you will confront and put your trust in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He has the power to give you purpose. And it's not too late for you. I was over 50 years of age when I started another career in Africa and spent 27 years there. It's not too late for you, whoever you are. And it's not too early for you, wherever you are in your life, to meet the resurrected Christ and experience the transforming power. But look at how James speaks here. Just a verse or two. Verse 13 of James 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Isn't that a different bell than he was ringing earlier to Jesus? Go show yourself. No one who has aspirations in this world just hides down in Charleston. No, show yourself to the world. Deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy, and another translation there is zealousness, 
That's what he was showing. Zealousness. If you harbor zealousness and selfish ambition, not just ambition. Ambition can be God-led. There was a, a great preacher that preached for almost 50 years in Cambridge, England, named Charles Simeon. And Charles Simeon, at 23 years of age, would walk by Trinity Church in the middle of Cambridge, and he would say, Lord, if you would only give me Trinity Church. Well, God gave it to him, but the church didn't like him, and they locked the pews. The people that heard him for almost 10 years had to stand in the pews. They couldn't even sit down to hear him preach because his own congregation was against him. But he had been appointed there, and he served faithfully. He built some pews over in the corner himself for people to sit, and the warden came and took them all out and dumped them. But God gave him what he asked. That was a huge ambition. And you can have a huge ambition as long as it is for Christ and not for yourself, not selfish ambition. If you harbor bitter envy, zealousness, and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthy, fleshly, demonic. For wherever you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And going down to... Chapter 4, verse 4. You know, this James, he, he was zealous, right? You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship or love of the world is hatred toward God? Did you know that? I didn't know that. Is it really that radical? Love of the world? Friendship toward the world, cuddling up toward the world and its standards equals hatred toward God? I didn't know that. Boy, he, he's getting pretty radical, isn't he? Anyone who chooses to be a friend. You remember what Jesus says? The world, it's always, that's always open for you. The way of the world is always available to you. But that means hatred toward God. If you're going the way of the world, you're going the way of hatred toward God. Anyone who chooses, it's a choice, chooses to be a friend or a lover, that's the word philos, a friend of the world is an enemy of God. This is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This word God opposes, He takes a position and He stands against you. When I was in grammar school, I prayed grammar school football. And I was the smallest man on the team. I didn't start growing until I was past 15. And I probably weighed 55 pounds. 
and they put me in the line. I was what they then called a guard, which means you're right next to the center. And there would always be this big man in front of me. And, but I was so skinny and so small that I could go right between his legs or I could go over to this side like this. And I made many tackles back behind the line of scrimmage. I was amazing. And then, then one, one day, there was this big fellow opposing me who knew how to block. And every play, he would just hook me between his elbow and his shoulder, and he would just walk me over to the side of the football field. And I would, when the play was over, I would be over at the, foot, over at the edge. And that was the rest of the game. Every single play, he would just hook me and drive me over that way. God is like that player. If you are proud, he sets himself to oppose you. And he's going to just hook you and he's just going to drive you over to the sidelines. And you can just play the rest of the game over there on the sidelines. How would you like that? You know, at the end of the game, I, I still remember the little quarterback saying, boy, we had a great game, didn't we? We really played a great game. Not me, boy. I didn't play any great game at all. I was just standing in the sidelines. I might as well not have been on the team. I didn't ever touch anybody who had the ball. And you will not prosper so long as you have selfish ambition and a zeal for yourself as over against a zeal for God. An ambitious brother, a transformed brother. Remember, this is James. This is James. And what does, Jesus, what does he say in the end? Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord. Humble yourselves, and he will lift you up. I think it was one of the professors at Covenant College who was being asked by a young student, what, what do I do that, that I might serve the Lord better? Then this young fellow really did want to serve the Lord. And this professor said, not humble enough. Not humble enough. Not humble enough. Humility seems like such a little thing. It, it's like, you know, you can do with it or you do without it. And if you don't have it, you can always fake it. But true humility, that's the way. As you humble yourself, before God and have the only ambition of your life to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And you notice, if you looked at the beginning of the book of James, finishing up that little vision of James and Jesus meeting the way one another, what does James say as he starts his epistle? James, a doulos, a slave 
of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not too late. You too can humble yourself. And you too can experience the power and the grace of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And you too can be used of God far beyond anything that you could imagine if you will only humble yourself rather than living for your own ambitious goals. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We cannot comprehend your humbleness